Hi, this is David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network, hoping you are staying safe and healthy during this period of precaution over the coronavirus. It's difficult to connect with your clients and contacts in a period such as this, but here we continue to produce podcasts that allow you to connect with the people that you want to reach. You've got a wrapped audience like never before. People are home, they're listening, and they're waiting to hear from you. We can create a professional podcast with a quick turnaround and do the whole thing remotely so you don't have to leave your home. Get in touch with us at pod617.com. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Hello, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast, the show where we tell the stories of your city through the voices of your city and sometimes other cities because it's the internet. It can go anywhere it wants to go. And I have friends outside of Boston, and I don't begrudge them when they come on this show. And I got a good dude here today. His name is Jed Weiner. Is it Weiner or Weiner? I want to say Weiner. It's Weiner. You can't win. You're either a Weiner or a Weiner. <laughs> That's right. Jed Weiner is here. He's a corporate attorney, former naval intel officer. Interesting. Um, he works with startups, venture capital, all that crazy corporate stuff. He's at the law firm of May and Mark. In Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, let's welcome Jed to the program. <laughs> Thank you. So, first off, how's your pandemic going? You hanging in there? Uh, yeah, we're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's actually an infectious disease doctor, Ooh. and so she's a little bit crazy. Uh, she is at NIH, mm-hmm. so for her, it's game time. And I, for the uninitiated, NIH is what? Oh, National Institute of Health. Okay. I should know that, I guess. I don't know. So does that mean she has to quarantine separately from you or not necessarily? No. Um, Just have to be careful. She wears a spacesuit at work, so she's more worried about going to the supermarket Mm -hmm. than going to work. (laughs) So they're very careful at work, I take it. Yeah. Um, So... Tell me. Well, first of all, I noticed something about your law firm, which says it's minority owned, right? Correct. Yeah. And I don't mean to break the news to you, but you're a white dude, and which is okay because I am too. But, but tell us about, about that. So it was founded by minorities. Um, uh, and um, we have uh, uh, partners that are minority. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was founded by um, uh, somebody who immigrated from China. Who's right. a very successful IP lawyer, and then a, a African American who's um, very successful um, a personal injury lawyer mm-hmm. in Florida. So um, it's part of our culture. Yep. Um, and um, part of the things to celebrate about our firm. Well, it's very rare, from what I understand, and um, I can speak from. I I used to be the publisher of Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly in Boston, and every year we would survey the the law the largest law firms you know um and so we had them report you know what how the number percentage of minority partners percentage of minority associates um and well boston's i'll say it you don't have to boston's even wider than dc so so um it, it was always small percentages but i do recall a moment in uh i want to say the 90s where there was some 
meeting of corporate lawyers and there were corporate executives in the audience. And one of them stood up and said, uh, I'm going to be blunt about this. Unless you law firms start getting some minority partners and people in charge, you're not going to get our business anymore. It was a, it was a minority exec. So I take it. It's a, it, if it's part of your culture, it allows you to show that that culture can be a welcoming one to minorities who are business owners, corporate executives and such. That was a long question. Sorry, Jed, but tell me about that. No, it's absolutely true. Uh, you get different ideas uh, because people coming from uh, different clients, it's good for business. Yep. Uh, being minority owned and having people from different backgrounds, it's good for the bottom line. Yep. Um, it's good for growth, um, new ideas. Uh, and we also have a lot of vets. So we have a lot of room DC. So it's a mix of veteran owned and um, minority owned. So it's a good it's a good mix of different skill sets and backgrounds. What do you remember from your days as a naval intel officer? Because that certainly sounds intriguing. I remember the thing. You remember the people. Yep. That's the most important thing. And coming from New York City, growing up in New York City, went to private school, um, <clears throat> then uh, went to uh, college, law school in New York. You go into the Navy, you meet people from all over the country. You're responsible for them, and they're responsible for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you really get a better view of America from being in the military. Um, and you also grow because uh, you learn how to take orders and why that's important and why you respect taking orders. Um, and you learn how to deal with uh, people in different uh, backgrounds and, and, and professions. It's very different. It's a very good um, skill set for a lawyer, corporate lawyer, because when you're trained at the big law firms, it's 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 a, a typical type of demographic. Mm-hmm. And same with the clients to the big banks, private equity firms. But when you have to get called up and go into the Navy from that background for a year and a half, um, and you have to deal with people in many different backgrounds, it makes you a better lawyer when you come back. I can imagine. Were, were you stationed abroad? Yes, I was uh, in Turkey um, and Europe. In Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was in, in the UK for a while because the head of Intel for European command and NATO were in um, England. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was in Ankara in, in Turkey for a while. So, of course, you know, I, I'm thinking because I know all I know about the military from, you know, TV and, and, and movies and, and such. Were you in an office like trying to crack codes or access, you know, satellite footage or, or maybe you're not allowed to tell me. I don't know. But can you tell me what, kind of what the day to day was like? There's certain things I can tell you. Okay. Um, in fact, you the way it works is because people have to get a job afterwards. You have to kind of be able to communicate what you do unless you're like super, super top secret. Right. Um, and um, uh, so you submit, like, for example, you submit your resume and they approve it. So you can talk about certain things. So one thing I did is I was um, head of counterterrorism for half of Europe. Come on. Uh, for, yeah, my first set of orders. So here I am, a corporate lawyer. And uh, walking in to a team of 20 people, people very salty, have been in the military for years and years, and I have to lead them. Mm. That's the thing of being in the military. You can do things you can't do anywhere else. Right. And um, so it was half a European command, and it was more strategic uh, and kind of monitoring what's going on and then analyzing what the status of different threats were. Mm. Um, Then I was a Russia analyst, um, which was uh, uh, providing analysis on – and updates to the European command and head of NATO on what's going on in, in Russia strategically. And then in Turkey, it was operational. Mm-hmm. And it was working with NATO and Turks on night shifts. So I'd be up all night with the Turks or with um, with NATO um, dealing with operational issues 
um, and dealing with their culture. It was, it was amazing. It was uh, Ramadan when I was there. Wow. So they would, um, they taught me how to fast properly. So they, wow. they told me, um, if you're going to fast, um, you go to, you eat an hour before you start fasting because of the salt mm. and then you just drink for that hour. And that's the way you do strategically how you do a good fast. You know, and so you, when you came back here, you were the king of Yom Kippur with that, uh, no, yeah. with that knowledge. <laughs> That's right. uh, yeah. So, oh, I hated uh, fasting on Yom Kippur. I've since, beca- <laughs> I've, I've since become a fair weather Jew, so I don't, I don't do it all the time. But, um, but anyway, yeah, tur- I've been to Turkey once and it's a place le- unlike any other I had ever been to for sure. What I remember is the, it, it's, I don't know if beautiful is the word, but just ornate, interesting, that underground bizarre mall that they have in Istanbul. It's just, it's, you have to experience it to believe it. It's, it's a combination of chaos and fun and a bunch of people hawking all kinds of carpets and stuff and probably trying to rip you off, but it's, it's still enjoyable. And do you remember that you must remember the, the, the sound of those chants that came from the mosques? What was, is that, did they do that to call everyone to the mosque and that's time to pray or? Yeah, that's like the five, they pray five times a day. It's one of the five pillars of Islam. Right. So they have to pray. And so the, the um, Muazin goes, I think that's the name of the guy who does the call to prayer goes up to the top of the minaret mm. uh, and leads the community, you know, the city to, to prayer. So, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. ju- it's just, and, and I'm not, I don't mean to put it down at all, but it's kind of a haunting sound, you know, and, and you would, you, you walk through the streets and all of a sudden you hear this sound and um, it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. Here, I have a clip of it here. Well, you get the point. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So let's so let's let's fast forward. What kind of um, clients do you deal with now? Oh, who's joining joining us on the show? You can't see this, but Jed yeah. has invited a guest on the show. I, I, uninvited guest. But That's welcome. okay. That's okay. Yeah. This is uh, Emily. She's just finishing up kindergarten. Hi, Emily. Hi, Emily. And here. <laughs> She's showing us her the, her loose tooth. Have you ever lost a tooth before, Emily? Yeah. Here. Yep. Okay. Did the tooth fairy come? Yes. So I hope the tooth fairy better be warming up her flying machine or however she gets here because you get she's going to come again, right? Thirty. I guess the thirty. What are there, 32 teeth or something like that? <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you, but yeah. yeah you need a pension plan for. <laughs> Right. Well, thank you for joining us on the bus. Now she's gone off to do something more interesting. Um, so uh, she's adorable. How old is your daughter? Uh, she is going to be six in a couple of weeks. And how is she dealing with this pandemic? Um, she's doing okay. Yeah. Um, go outside every day, make sure we get plenty of playtime. That's good. That's good. Um, all right. So yeah, we fast forward. Um, Tell us about your your clientele now and and why um, why you dig it. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about you have some just really interesting clients that that must bring up some interesting issues. So if you could give us maybe some examples or tell us what it's like. Sure. So how I got into uh, startups, I used to, I worked at the big firms, the Death Stars in New York, uh, and then eventually I went in house uh, for a startup. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, who was governor of Virginia before he ran. Uh, started a startup with uh, Hillary Clinton's brother, and I went in-house as the lawyer and loved it. We, we started a manufacturing facility in Mississippi for electric cars, 
and one in China, and then he went to go run for governor. Mm. So the energy of the company kind of left, and my um, and and then I uh, became uh, general counsel of a waste management company. And then my friends at my old law firm says, "Come join us. We're starting a boutique firm. Uh, we have a lot of startup clients." And I said, "I'm never going back to a law firm. I love being in house." They said, "Just try it." Mm. And being at a small firm and representing emerging companies and venture capitalists, it's fantastic. It's kind mm. of like being in house. You're part of their life. Um, they're the, the things you help me with are game changing for their life and also they're innovators. So game changing for their industries. So it's very different than being at a big law firm doing Goldman Sachs deals or, um, you know, doing a, a hundred page contract for Goldman Sachs, totally different profession, it's like yep. a different profession. And the law profession now is, uh, it's not like what it used to be, you know, a genteel kind of profession. It's kind of like being a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of lawyers out there. It's very competitive. Um, if you go to the big firms, maybe two out of 80 become partner, um, and it's, it's a grind years and years, hours and hours. Uh, so it's not like the choice used to be become a doctor or a lawyer or accountant. Being a lawyer, is, it's very different. And um, uh, and this kind of profession, this, this, um, and I think the market is moving in this direction because a lot of the big companies um, and small ones, more important small ones, don't want to pay $1,500 an hour for an MA lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, their CEOs just don't want to, they come in and they cut the budget. They don't want to pay for it. It's not high value. They don't want to pay for marble floors in an office or fancy offices, nice offices. Uh, but obviously when they have meetings there with other, uh, partners, but they don't want to pay for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want efficiency, they want, um, low cost and they want flexibility. So my clients, um, uh, part of my practice, as we mentioned is startups, um, a really good example would be. Um, a, um, I have a, a, a client who is, um, has an amazing technology. It's, it looks like a little beeper mm-hmm. and you go to Starbucks or wherever and you want to use Wi-Fi. Well, if you have sensitive things that you're working on, you want to make sure that the Wi-Fi is clean. Sure. So the machine and their software will scan this, the Starbucks or the, um, hotel. If you're staying in a hotel, make sure the Wi-Fi is clean. It takes 15 minutes for the basic test. And then you can, you know if it's clean or if there's problems. And then it will map it so that the soft the the box will communicate with with the um, with the company and mm-hmm. their software. And they'll map out to others who who subscribe. This is a clean hotel. This Wi-Fi is clean. This Starbucks is clean. Don't worry about it. To help people feel secure about Wi-Fi. And is that product available now? No. So this is okay. an early stage. Uh, they um, they're raising money to grow. It's it's ready. They're ready to launch, mm. but they're they're, um, they got their first customer, um, so so that that's the, the early stage. There's a pattern um, with companies. This timeline: you start out, and, and the financing, how how you get money, also depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. So you start out with an idea, a twinkle in the eye, and mm-hmm. then the next stage would probably be um, you have a, a, a proof of concept, and then later, um, and that's called seed stage, mm-hmm. and then later the Series A, Series B. That's when you have revenues. Uh, where you show that you can commercialize it. Uh, and so they're right now at uh, beyond proof of concept. So mm-hmm. they're at that state timeline. They're not doing a Kickstarter thing, are they? No. no. I have, we, at my old firm, we had a client called Fluent Forever um, that, that did a language app, and they were one of the most successful on um, Indiegogo mm-hmm. uh, because, um, and Kickstarter, they're very good for, um, marketing. So let's say you have a great idea and you want to market it. It's really, it's a good platform to get out there and get known. 
if you have a very cool idea, you can raise some money. The risk is that if you're not sure if you're going to get traction on one of those platforms and you do it and you sink, then when you try to raise money, the normal, the conventional way, which is through um, investors, angel investors, you have that bad story. So there's mm-hmm. a risk there. But if it goes well, it's a very good story and it's free publicity. Yeah, I'm looking at the website for Fluent Forever. So it's an app. Learn any language and never forget it. And it, it, it looks painfully simple. I'm sure it's not as simple as it looks. But in other words, <laughs> you click on a language, you download the app. And I guess, what is it? Is it, I mean, is it any different from traditional language lessons or... I mean, if you don't know all the details, that's all right. You're just a lawyer, but you know. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. So this is a it's great client. My old firm, his last name is actually Weiner as well. Oh. Um, and um, th- this is what he, what this guy says. Um, and you should, you know, have him on your shoes. He's a I would love to. Yep. Yeah, he's a fantastic guy. I'll put you in touch with him. Mm. Um, he says that one thing that I remember he said is that this whole thing that age matters for learning languages, it's a myth. Oh, okay. See, this is good because this is why I always give up. But go ahead. <laughs> that that he, the research shows that it's just not true. That I mean, if you were, if you live like a kid and were had free time and stuff like that, as an adult, you your brain would pick up the language, and that it's a myth. So this is um, I'll put you in touch with him. He's a fantastic, uh, fascinating person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and these are the kind of companies that do very well because he wrote a book beforehand. He already had a following, mm-hmm. and so he knew once he went on Kickstarter, he already had. Um, uh, critical mass and he already had momentum, um, to, to build it out. Yeah. And I imagine that's one of the keys to the Kickstarter thing, because whenever I see a Kickstarter thing, it's something comes across my Facebook feed. Like I saw one for a cooler, like a cooler that you would take to the beach. And I'm pretty sure this was called the coolest, which is pretty clever, but it, it, it had all kinds of bells and whistles. It was the Cadillac of coolers. It had like, you know, um, Bluetooth speakers and it, all different kinds of compartments and things and like even a phone charger somehow was in there. Um, and it, you know, it had raised like half a million dollars by the time I saw the ad. And, um, so it, it, it makes, you know, schmucks like me say, Hey, I could do that. I'll come up with, you know, a pretty good idea and put it on Kickstarter. But I'm sure the highway is littered with many of them who ended up with like $17. So, you know, and I don't know if that cooler ever actually happened by the way. I want my money back. No, I'm kidding. I didn't give any money to that. Um, so how has now, now how has business changed yet? We all know the obvious about doing things online. For startups, I, I wonder if this is particularly dicey time, but but you tell me. It depends on the business. For example, I have a client um, uh, called Madison Seville, and they uh, it's it's new, and they're launching. Uh, a um, new line of jackets for work and suits for women. The idea is that their jackets out there are really not what women are looking for for work. Um, and uh, there's a culture behind it. The, mm-hmm. A lot of the factories are closed, so she can't launch. She, it's going to be fitted. To, it's, it will be uh, specially fitted, this kind of thing. It's a whole innovative model. She can't launch um, because a lot of the factories are closed. She has to wait to deal with that. Um, so that's on hold. But... Um, uh, for example, um, I have clients who um, uh, who are in uh, who are in the uh, healthcare industry, and they're you know guns blazing ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, diagnostic companies are blazing ahead, um, and um, uh, uh, cyber companies are blazing ahead. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, even vodka. So I have a vodka client, which 
you don't associate with cool techie startup, but mm. this one is, and they've been going full steam ahead. Uh, this week, they just signed an agreement um, with Baron Davis, the NBA all-star, two-time mm. all-star. Yep. Um, he's, he's acquiring part, uh, part of the equity of the company, um, and it's a New York-style vodka brand. And so that's they're ready to go ahead. They think things are uh, it's worth moving, even the pandemic. Um, and now he's going to be part of a team. Um, to, and he's a well-known entrepreneur. He invited he invested in vitamin water early on. And so this is something that's happened in the pandemic. Um, real movement. So it depends. You know, it's all it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. By the way, the and I want to ask you more about that. But the 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 coolest cooler. <laughs> Um, I think actually it, it was, I'm, I'm reading from, uh, the internet, so it must be true. A multifunction cooler that was initially funded through the crowdfunding website, Kickstarter. It's one of the largest disasters in Kickstarter history. He raised over 13 million, this guy, Ryan Grepper, wow. making it the most funded Kickstarter campaign of 2014. Crowdfunders were offered the product at a discounted rate, but eventually due to corporate failure, not all backers received a product. And then in uh, December of last year, he announced that the company was closing, having never delivered coolers to an estimated 20,000 of the original backers. So that's like a third. Oh, my God. All right. I, wonder what it, I wonder what went wrong. It's like, to me, I feel like I could successfully run a business if I had, you know, uh, $13 million in hand. But I might be wrong. I'm not Mark it's all about Yeah, it's all about <laughs> management. So when right. investors come what, and see, a, see, a, see an investor pitch, you know, they come in and hear the pitch. Uh, you know, you think these guys from Silicon Valley, or whatever, are brainy, so, and they are. But yep. every, they they all invest with their emotion, and they all invest in people. So um, there's a cool idea out there floating around. You know, it's not a practical idea, but that you invest in somebody's in, in a person, and so whatever oh. they do, you get a percentage wow. of it because they're going <laughs> to fail. But if you like them, eventually they'll succeed. And so it's a cool idea that you invest that you that you invest in the person's future. Is there a name for this? Does it exist? Um, I've heard it exists. I don't know the name. You know, you just hear stories about it. I don't yep. think it's a wives' tale, right. but I, th I think it's true. But it just shows you what the emphasis really is on yep. um, early stage companies. All about the person who's got that twinkle in the eye. Well, it makes sense when at, at a at a core level because you and I both know. You know, I've had jobs that have looked if you, on paper looked like the dream job, and yet it was miserable working there because my boss was terrible. And then I've had boring sounding jobs that were actually great because the people were great. And so, but when you invest in a company, I mean, I know that the, the big wigs, they do their due diligence and they kind of learn who's behind it. But to the average Joe, like we, did, we didn't know this clown that was doing the coolest cooler couldn't get his act together. We just wanted the cooler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so how do you think business is going to change going forward, Jed? Will, I mean, being, you, you've, uh, you're in DC, you've got an office in New York, right? Um, do you spend some time jetting back and forth? Typically, not now, obviously. Yeah, actually, okay. yeah, I do. And um, at my my apartment in New York is actually in Queens, which is Epicenter. Oh, nice. So I haven't obviously been back. Um, it's different. For a corporate lawyer, uh, New York is a different environment than D.C. Um, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot going on. I'm from there, and everything's about relationship. Sure. Yep. So, um, but D.C. has, especially Northern Virginia, has a very robust uh, emerging company, uh, high tech. For example, I've heard that um, just in the tech industry that for servers, 
that the, the number two market in the world is Northern Virginia. So like for big mega computers and servers and that kind of technology, the number one market in the world is the United States. Mm. So like if you look at another country, that would be number three, it'd be after Northern Virginia. So mm. like Germany or Japan or whatever it is, China, they're after Northern Virginia in terms of that market. It's such right. an important market for them. Sure, sure. But do you, do you think um, in the future there will be just um, a lot less a lot more virtual meetings like a year from now, is it going to have lasting effects now for obviously we're doing almost all meetings virtual, although it's, we're starting to open back up. We think who knows, but what do you think? I think the question is, can you develop the same kind of relationships um, online as in person? And we're finding that out the, you know, the conventional wisdom before is no, you have to meet the person in, you have to go see the person in person. It's different chemistry. You really can't get their energy, but um, now that people are really paying attention and being very serious and careful about their online meetings uh, and really trying to meet people that way, um, they're more efficient. Are they quite as efficient? I don't know, but they're, they're let's say they're 75% as efficient um, in terms of making bonds and, and trust. Well, it may, if 75% more efficient, 80%, but then you can do a lot more because you don't have to travel. You don't have to be in the car. You don't have to pollute the environment. So... Um, if people, if everybody gets on board, then uh, and everybody is very serious and intent on making relationships this way, it can work. But then, if you have the one or two people that say, "No, I'm going to go and go to Boston or um, or New York and going to meet the, or DC or, or Florida, got to meet the person in person," that and it is going to be a little bit better. And they're going to then you have to it's the race to you know you have to compete with them. Right. Yeah. So, and uh, so it's yeah. I imagine it'll be an interesting shaking out to see if. Some, I mean, I remember an ad for, I think it might have been American Airlines. It was for American Airlines, but, it, but it, the, the ad featured a fictional company where the CEO was calling every, all the, the important people into the room and saying, you know, we used to do business by in person and now we, we do it with a phone call, we do it with an email, we do, we do it with a fax. I think it was even back when people were using faxes. Anyway, and then and what happens in the ad is he's got a stack of airline tickets. So it's an ad for America. He says, we're going to go out person to all of our clients and just hands out all these airline tickets. And it was, it was kind of, it, it worked, you know, and it was like, yeah, you know what? That's good. That whoever that fictional company is, they'll, and so it'll be interesting to see if some companies go the other way or say, Hey, look, we're doing things more efficiently now because we're saving all this money on travel and maybe even office space, right? In terms of office space, um, there's, there may be um, that lawyers or accountants uh, give up their office space, work at home more, and maybe they'll have a few rotating offices in a very fancy conference room. That's Because that's where you give the impression uh, to clients and on the other side to intimidate the other side, you know, when you're negotiating. They, yeah. Conference room helps. So um, maybe that becomes more important rather than the whole office. And um, people work at home more. That'd be a great model, in my opinion. I like yeah. So my daughter come in. I love it. I'll take it a step further. How about a company that has humble office space, a gorgeous conference room? Not only that, but the gorgeous conference room is outfitted with TV broadcast quality equipment. And so anyone who's tapping in virtually, I mean, not to make it look like a TV set, but just to make it look, you know, crystal clear. Um, I remember. And this was years ago. I had a friend at, um, uh, I forget what bank he worked at. But anyway, I was meeting him one day and he said, hey, 
let me give you a tour of the office. He said, you want to see the Star Wars room? I'm like, yeah, that's great. I love Star Wars. He goes, well, no, it's not Star Wars. But he brings me in and like it was it was high tech uh, audio video, audio visual for video conferencing. But it was different than any I had ever seen. Instead of like a one TV set, it was like if you would stack like four like big rectangular um, TV screens on one side of this table and then on the other side of the table would be where the team would actually sit. But he showed me that the, 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 the quality of the image was so crystal clear. It was whatever the highest depth there is. And it, I could see that it really simulated sitting across the, 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 the table from someone. Now, when we do Zoom calls, it, to me, it's not even close. So I think you, this is a tip for you, uh, Jed. You can have it for free. You're in the startup, the, the, the startup world. A startup should focus on high, and maybe I'm sure it exists, but to me, that's going to give people advantage because the more virtual meetings we do and make a version for the everyman, you know, make a version that's a thousand bucks for a high tech uh, video conference machine. And it doesn't even have to be a computer. It's, that could be its only purpose. Are you with me at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. <laughs> all right. I think so. It's very cool. I don't have the patience to start the company to make those things, but hopefully someone else does. Um, in a minute, um, by the way, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Judd? People want to know more. Um, they can uh, just email me at jweiner, J-W-E-I-N-E-R, at may, M-E-I, uh, mark, M-A-R-K, uh, dot com. Right. It's uh, a good way. And, and the website is maymark.com, same spelling, M-E-I-M-A-R-K. So, hey, connect with Jed. He's a good dude. And he can tell you if you get bored, you get plenty more Navy stories, I'm sure. Um, We're going to play a quick round of good stuff before we go. But before I do that, let me take a break just to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network and what we do here. What do we do? We produce podcasts from start to finish. If you want your own podcast, now's an opportune time to start it. We'll send you out a quality USB microphone, not one of those crappy ones that you already have. And we'll produce everything. We'll do the intro music, outro music. We'll create spots for you. And you can be the next big podcast star. Go to pod617.com to get started. And by the way, if you'd like to be a guest on this show, or if you have a client or a friend who's a business owner, has an interesting story to tell, and wants to let the world know that they're still open during this pandemic, just shoot me an email. We'll get you on this show for free. No strings attached. David at pod617.com is my email. Go ahead and hit me up. Now, before we go, let's play around the good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. I just realized something completely unrelated. I've been doing this since I was a, a kid. It's this habit of my left knee bobbing up and down rapidly. Do you know people who have, you don't happen to have that habit, do you? No, I do. I used to. Yeah. Um, and also, I turn, you know, I turn my knee, um, you know, move it back and forth. And sometimes I'll just stand up and like, what's up with my knee? Yeah. Because I've been moving it at weird angles. Yeah. My mom told me that uh, it meant you should be a lawyer. And I did become a lawyer, although I haven't practiced in a long time. But nevertheless, I, I, I think she might have made that up. Anyway, um, so Jed, tell us, do you have something for our listeners? Something that's maybe brightened your day a little bit during the pandemic? Ab- um, absolutely. Yep. And um, I've been buying more than one barbecue, all the different kinds of barbecues Ooh, now. Yeah. So uh, we have good guests. And I've never really been a barbecue because we just moved into a house. from, um, And now um, I have gas, charcoal, mm-hmm. wood, everything. So 
I'm going crazy. Well, this Fish, is <laughs> so. Wait, you need you need more than one. You just got into this, and all of a sudden you're addicted. Yeah, my wife likes the charcoal taste better. Okay. So yeah, some people. Yeah. Some people are charcoal, uh, you know, enthusiasts and absolutists. And um, I don't know. I, I don't think I can taste the difference so much. But what, what have you been making? What's your go-to? I've been making uh, fish, uh, a lot of fish um, uh, in the charcoal, salmon. Mm. You, there's special things that you make the fish with. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It looks like uh, kind of a grill on each side and it's roughly fish shaped. Yeah. That's hard. I give you credit because I've done that before. And even with that thing, sometimes the fish kind of falls apart. But yeah, I made the mistake of cooking the fish with the head still on it. That's what they sell at Costco. The red snapper right. has the eyes on. I bought it out, and my daughters who love fish yep. flipped out. So <laughs> I should have seen coming from a million miles away. That was my strategic incompetence there. Of being a yeah, player. Daddy, you killed Nemo. You killed Nemo, and you barbecued him. <laughs> Yeah, it's there comes a time in every kid's life when they realize, at least in mine, I, I don't remember specifically, but it's like you, you eat chicken and you know there's an animal called a chicken. But when you're real little, you don't necessarily realize that that is what you're eating, in fact. And the same goes for fish or turkey or anything. And when it dawns on you, you're, uh, you know, you could be shell-shocked. Anyway, um, Jed Wider, you've been awesome. You've been a good sport. You've been a good guest. Don't forget the website is maymark.com, M-E-I-M-A-R-K. Dot com. Uh, Jed, thanks for joining. Did you have a good thanks time at least? Me. Yeah, I had a fantastic time. All Thank right. You for having me. I really appreciate it. That's great. And I'm going to take you up on that offer. Send your interesting clients my way. I, I love these people you Absolutely. work with. Sound awesome. Some, yeah, really cool people. Thank you for listening to the Boston Podcast. If you like us, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment. Spread the love. Go to pod617.com if you want your own podcast. And if you want to be a guest on the show, email me, David at pod617.com. On behalf of Jed Weiner, my new favorite friend in D.C., I don't want to take this personally, Jed, but it's just my sign-off. On behalf of Jed, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, but if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. I said I'm